welcome to the Hell of a Catholic podcast. My name is Father Josh Allen. I'm the chaplain here at Georgia Tech. And I'm TJ Capaldi, former pastoral lackey here at Georgia Tech and now seminarian for the Archdiocese of Atlanta. And I am Ben Thompson. I'm a guest here just for this evening. Ben, tell us, uh, you're, a, you're a seminarian for Atlanta, correct? That's, that's right. And how long have you been in seminary? I have only been in seminary for one year now. One so year where you're studying? Mundelein in Mundelein, Chicago. Mundelein, Chicago, Illinois. Indeed. And just so that we can you know, make sure we've got it for everybody to know, I mean, there's already people that are probably their chest is closing up and this, that, and the other. Where exactly did you go to college? All right. So I went one year in Baylor, Waco, Texas, yeah, uh, okay University of Baylor. Yes. Okay with that. Southern Baptist, but, you know, I wasn't Catholic at the time yet. Uh, went to UGA for oh. two years. Oh, no, no. Oh. No, no, no. <laughs> it was a very good school. And you see, I'm a double dog. So if you take it oh. as a negative, you know, it's two negatives. They cancel each other out. But if they're positives, then it's positive. At least so all you around recognize that it needs to be turned into something positive. <laughs> that makes us happy. So... So no, we're this is part of our uh, this is part of our uh, ecumenical outreach. That's right, ecumenical <laughs> dialogue to see if we uh, can pull in uh, some UGA people to reason, truth, goodness, beauty, all those kind of things. Uh, but no, no, we're very happy to have you. So uh, I asked the guys before we started if I could just pop a topic on them and see what happens, and they both said yes. So. Um, Didn't have much I'm, of a choice. I'm sort of responsible, but they're mostly responsible for what follows after this. Today's topic, the following statement. I quote, It is very important that we return as soon as possible to a common orientation of priests and the faithful turned together in the same direction, <laughs> eastwards or at least towards the apse, to the Lord who comes. Who said it? Pope Benedict? Nope. Cardinal Seurat. Cardinal Seurat, just this week. Just this week. It's made all kinds of headlines. I mean, it made headlines in prefect like for, normal papers. He's the prefect of the Congregation of Divine Worship at the Vatican, right? And the discipline of the sacraments. And yes. the discipline of the sacraments. Yeah. Appointed by our current pope, I believe. Pope, appointed by Pope Francis. Okay. Um, replaced, who did he replace? Uh, Canizares, right? Cardinal Canizares. Uh, and he's been there for three years or so. Mm-hmm. And he's got a book out. He's got a book out. Not that God this is or a talk nothing. show where we put, where we promote books. <laughs> well, but, I mean, know. in fairness, right? So I'll put my cards on the table. God or Nothing, uh, written by Cardinal Seurat. And I put it on my list that I send out to the oh, students yeah, yeah, yeah. at the end of the year of one of the three books that they ought to read this summer. This book, God or Nothing, an interview book with Cardinal Seurat. Mm-hmm. So have you read that book, Ben? No, I haven't. Uh, some of the seminarians at Mondelein like it, though. Yeah. So. And it's next on my list once I finish the book I'm reading right now. It's Which is what? Bambi Retold? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. No. No. <laughs> it's actually an ironic book that I'm reading right now. It's called The Intellectual Life. So, oh. uh, it's, hmm. Does that fit you? Mark, oh, what you're missing. Oh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Hopefully something that I can work on. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. All right, so this made a big splash. Did it? I mean, how, how many people hear this well here's the thing it made it into the new york times oh made it wow into the wall okay. street journal made it into the london times i mean it made it into big newspapers i didn't know that yeah all i know is it made it into facebook yeah <laughs> it, it made it into the facebook the there's facebook. no question about that yeah i mean i i think probably a lot of people don't have an a it seems to me an awareness of what that even means like yeah yeah so what is it like, he's saying what is he yeah. asking us to do uh, basically, 
in respect to our normal Catholic life, going to Mass and whatnot, it seems like he's saying the priest should turn around and, and face the other direction during Mass. It's, right? right, exactly. So there's these two terms, ad orientum and versus populum, right? These two Latin terms. Versus populum is the way that the vast majority of parishes in, in Atlanta, actually all the parishes in Atlanta, and I'm sure the vast majority in the United States, celebrate Masses versus populum. That is... The people are on one side of the altar, the priest is on the other side of the altar, right? And yeah. they're facing each other, and the altar's in between them. Ad Orientum Mass uh, would be the people are on one side of the altar, and the priest is on the same side of the altar, and the altar is not in between them, right? So they're all facing the same direction. That is, the priest would have, the people would see the back of the priest, right? Yes. Um, so what Cardinal Seurat has mm -hmm. said, uh, this week, and he said this before, yeah. right? But he said it this week in a pretty big open forum at a conference. At right? a conference, yeah. Instead of like a little, he he gave an interview like a month ago to a French magazine. Like who reads French, right? Yeah. Um, he gave an interview a week ago or a month ago to a French magazine and basically said the same thing. Uh, a few months ago, he gave an address to the bishops in Italy and he said the same thing. Like he's been saying this, right? Um, but what was different about this particular time is. He called on priests to begin doing this beginning in Advent of this year. I saw that. Which is That's November 27th. A few months this year. from now. Yeah. Three or four months. November 27th. Yeah. Starting in Advent, he wants Mass celebrated ad orientum. Now, this does not mean he wants Mass celebrated in Latin, right? Mass is still in English, or whatever language people celebrate it in. But it's just the priest has reoriented himself uh, so that he's facing... Uh, with the people, usually towards the tabernacle or the crucifix or however it is. Some churches are built a little strangely, but in a normal church, you'd be facing the tabernacle and the crucifix. Mm -hmm. So, my question is, what do you think? Well... You can take that question <laughs> any way you want to. My understanding, and I, I, I don't know how educated my understanding is on this subject... My understanding is that the changes in Vatican II um, did not actually request for the, I, I think it's called versus populum. Yep. It did not request for the change around of the priest facing the congregation. Uh, my understanding is that the uh, it was expected that ad orientum, or facing away from the people, facing towards the altar, was something that was going to continue regardless of that council. Um, so I think one of the good things of this is perhaps returning back to the original meaning of the council and what the fathers had intended. Uh, so I see it as something positive. Uh, however, I will I'll preface my statements with I, I don't entirely know too much on this subject. No, I think you're right. I, I don't actually, I mean, I should have researched this, but I don't actually know where the reorientation in Mass came from. It yeah. did not come from Sacrosanctum Concilium, which is one of the big documents right. from the Second Vatican Council. Although there is However, a, there's a bunch of other documents. Yeah. And I don't know if it showed up in one of the minor documents. That's true. There is, a, to be fair, a contested paragraph in Sacrosanctum Concilium. Oh, no. No, it's not in Sacrosanctum Concilium. It's in the General Instruction on the Roman Missal That's that, as it was translated into English, some people say that it says, you know, to face one way, or it doesn't say to face, you know, uh, towards the people. Okay. Uh, 
Well, I can definitely tell you that the germ does not instruct you to face one way or the other. Right. And what it does do is there's a, a point in the rubrics of the Mass where it says, and the priest then turns to face the people. But if right, you're already so thus facing implying, the people. Thus implying right. that he was already not facing yeah, yeah. So, yeah, yeah, I guess what I'm yeah. saying is there's a paragraph in there that when it was translated into English, it makes it sound like that the we ought to, the priest ought to be uh, facing away, facing towards the people at all times, right? right. But I, I think really upon examination is a translation problem, but some people have stood on that. Anyway, it's not necessarily important to our conversation right now. Because uh, we're just saying, you know, how do we feel about this uh, this proposal? Well, how about this? Not instead of how do you feel about it? Because generally speaking, I think most people who are seminarians generally these days are either going to be okay to excited or indifferent. Yeah. I so, say it's so, okay to excited. Yeah. I, I really don't think anybody's indifferent on this. Well, I think there's probably some people. There's some, possibly, some people yeah. who are indifferent. But uh, what do you think about the like the normal people? I don't know. I think if I was, uh, I think I might be, especially if nobody said anything about it and I just walked in and this happened. And all of right? a sudden the priest is on the uh, the different side of the altar. Than I would be there. shocked <laughs> because the chances that I've seen anything else ever are almost zero. You know, like people, people who went to mass and they can remember it where it was not the way it is now are few and far between. Well, so the the council what ended in sixty five, right? Is that right? Um, but uh, versus popular worship was already happening in places, right? Yeah, before that, right? Now I don't know whether they had an indult to do it or whether that was just people being disobedient, being whatever. Yeah. But it was already happening a lot of places. But so nineteen sixty five or so, now for the first time, like the priest it's is facing the people, right? Yeah. And uh, and how long are we from that? Almost sixty, Almost 60 years, years yeah. yeah. So it's like for somebody to rem to really remember that, you got to be sixty-five. Well, maybe more older than that. No maybe. older. Seventy yeah. to really remember it. Sixty-seven to seventy years old to even have a memory of it. And there's a good chance that you were in a parish where they were already doing that anyway. Um. So yeah, I mean, it's it's a shock to the system. I mean, so are we? But do we assume that the maybe the priest isn't going to say anything about it? I mean, what what are we to think? I, I do remember reading, I read some of Cardinal Sarah's statements, and I believe he did state that one ought to exercise prudential judgment before administering this change. Yeah, he talked about catechesis right. and all this other kind of stuff, definitely. Right. I mean, how long did we take to implement the new Roman Missal? Two years? A pretty long time, yeah. It was like two years. I mean, we had the text, and we were... Slowly implementing, you know, Very trying few to teach changes people. Too. I don't know that anybody was actually teaching anybody anything. Yeah, I don't think anybody really did anything until about two weeks ahead of time. <laughs> you know, that's when everybody's like, "Okay, this stuff's all about the change. You've been hearing about it for a long time." Here's Put the little inserts and the pews, okay. right? Um, I was at the Catholic Center. We did some good stuff here at the time. So that's maybe that's not the real world, but it was, <laughs> it was good. It was good. So I, I just I wonder. I mean, I, I wonder a number of things. Number one, first of all. This is not an edict from the Vatican, right? right? This is something that he said. It's a suggestion. In right? a conference. Um, and, you know, he, you could call it a suggestion. The way he worded it, it was not a suggestion. It was, it is necessary. Okay. Right? However, when he's not speaking, when Cardinal Seurat is speaking at a conference, he is not speaking as the mouthpiece of the Congregation for Divine Worship. 
he is the prefect for it, but he's not speaking as the prefect, right? If he wants to say something as the prefect for the congregation of divine worship, it'll be written, stamped, and signed. Yeah. Right? Now, fortunately, he has done that. Did it like a year ago. He oh. says the same thing. I had not he heard just didn't this. put the time limit on it. Right? He um, didn't say anything about when. He didn't say anything about when, but he's been talking about it basically since he became the prefect for the congregation of divine worship. Hmm. So I think it's interesting. I mean, I don't know. I'm not a. I'm not the guy that is going to be able to tell you what level of obedience we owe to this kind of statement, especially yeah. if the Pope hasn't said it. I mean, I don't really know. I do think the statement, and especially the consistent statements that he's made, does give a sufficient sort of green light to priests who have been thinking about doing this already to go ahead and give it a shot. I don't think it's going to change anybody's mind who's not interested in it, right? You're going to have to tell someone they have to do it before they're going to do it. Um, but I think there are probably priests who are interested in that kind of mass uh, who will now offer it who hadn't offered it before. Um, I don't know how many people. I mean, who knows? It's, a, it's an interesting problem. I guess, though, so for the people who listen to our podcast, which is not many of them, but my guess is a lot of them are like... <laughs> Three people. Why? Well, why are we doing this? Yeah. Like, why Why is this a, a good idea? That's a good question. You know, yeah. why, why... I mean, because from the... You know, you read people talking about, well, the priest does not have his back to the people. And I kind of get that. But when you walk into church, what you're going to see is the priest's back. Right? You're not going to see his face. And the thing is, you've never seen anything else. I mean, exactly. you're just used to it this way. Exactly. So to you... And I, th you mentioned the translation change for the Roman Missal recently. And I, I didn't think much of that. Maybe because I'm young or whatever, but... I've had some experiences with relatives and whatnot where to them that was a huge thing. Like that was like the mass changing. Yeah. Like they, uh, I don't know how they responded at the time, but even, you know, a few years later, they still had a lot to say about it talking to me. And they were like, how could you do, how could you do, how, why would they do that? Change the mass. I'm thinking about it like, well, you know, like, well, there's Latin, and it's more faithful to the Latin. But to them, their experience of the Mass was this, and now we're saying something completely different. So to them, it's, a, it's changed. And how could you change the Mass? Which I think is, a, I think that's a genuine sentiment, right? No, no, I think so, too. Yeah. I think there's also somewhat a risk uh, with some of the laity that I've seen before. I mean, I'm laity, too, I guess, at this point. But uh, there's oftentimes a consumer mentality, uh, an idea that the church needs to be focused around the person. Uh, so symbolically, this change around, the shifting of the priest away from the person, away from the laity, and facing, in a sense, God uh, in the liturgy, that might turn a few people off. Whether that is any grounds for disagreeing with ad orientum or facing away from the people is another question altogether. But I do see this possibly... Uh, annoying some people, yeah. Oh, I think there's going to be some people that are very upset about it, right? I mean, but that that itself, I mean, I think the question has to be, is it the right thing to do? And if it's the right thing to do, then if people get upset, they get upset. I agree. But I think what we got to do is is try to help and propose to people why why yeah. is this a good idea? So yeah. dare I throw that out there? Why is ad orientum worship important? Like, why is of all the of all the hills you're going to die on, why is Carnal Sarah <laughs> going to die on this one? Yeah. <laughs> Because, well, I mean, here's the thing. 
he's going to die on this hill. <laughs> if if this is what he pushes, he's going to die on this hill. But if he if it gets through, then that's the hill he died on. Well, but for starters, before we get to something really substantial, which you know, I'm not really I'm not not a fan of substance. Not a fan of substance. <laughs> um, Being from we have one Georgia person Tech. here not a fan of matter. <laughs> we have another person not a fan of substance. Uh, well. There, there. I think there is something to be said. You know, we mentioned what happened in the you know fifties, sixties, seventies, right? Um, but before that, right, the the experience of mass in the life of the church for hundreds and hundreds of years uh, is with the priest. You know, in a turn of phrase, facing away from the people ad orientum. You oh, know. Yeah. Uh, thousands, but, well, not well, not thousands, but it, yeah, over a thousand. Right, exactly. Uh, so there's, I think there's, there's some. Uh, just observing history, there's there. It seems there it must be some reason for that. They they, it couldn't have been just, you know, happenstance. So, uh, it, it actually okay. I mean, before you before you say that, right? It actually could have just been happenstance. Okay. Right, I mean, I hear this argument a lot. Not necessarily about liturgical things. And I don't gen- think I, I, it's not happenstance. But in general, about tradition. in general about that that argument about history, right? I mean, I hear this all the time from people who say, "Well, this is kind of just always the way we've done it," right? Not because it's the best way, but just because it's always the way it's been done. That's true. I can see that. So it's it would harder not surprise say- me. It wouldn't surprise me if there's actually no meaning to it whatsoever. But would you hold that argument over even in this case over hundreds of years, like over? Several hundred years, that over a thousand years, like it has. You don't think it over that time it's been examined and thought about. You think it's just taken for granted for. That I long? think in this particular case, yes. But I'm just saying the argument that something that's been around that long must mean something. So just yeah, just as an argument in general, yeah. it doesn't work. Okay. So like I had a guy the other day, not the other day. This was sometime last semester, fall semester, who we were having a big event here in Hamakasik on, and he was very upset with the event. It was like a Shroud of Turin exhibit and. He was very challenged by it and didn't like it at all, and he was angry. And I'm at the door, like, greeting people. He comes I, up to me. I've been to this event. It's a great okay. event. I wasn't there at that one, but it's a great presentation. So he yeah. comes up, and he's like, so why do you wear that thing? And I I was actually a little flummoxed by that. I said, well, you got to wear something. And he was like, <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, but why that? Why why this, this thing? He didn't call it a dress, but you could see that's what he's thinking, right? <laughs> and I said, well... I don't know, like, this is the formal outfit for priests. Like, in a formal event, this is as formal as I get. And he said, yeah, but does it have any symbolism? And I was thinking to myself, well, I mean, the colors have some symbolism, some other stuff, but when it gets right down to it, can I explain to someone why I wear something that looks like a dress? Not not really. (laughs) Other than it's just kind of what we've always done. Maybe there's a reason, but my guess is somebody made up that reason. Okay, you know, well, one of the, that it was the dre- okay. it was dress tradition at the time, mm-hmm. and we just kind of when dress tradition changed to pants, we just haven't changed it all yet. I mean, you can wear a suit or a cassock, sure, but sure, but that's still there. It's like, but it's just it's just history. I'm I'm not sure there's a real reason for it. Uh, one of the things I can think of, uh, I was raised Episcopal as a kid, not very seriously Episcopal, um, but one of the things I've remembered was we we had communion too. We had our version of the Eucharist in the Episcopal Church. Um, I'm now a convert, just 
just so you know, but obviously. <laughs> but when I was a kid, we would kneel down before receiving communion. And in my mind, I knew just about nothing about communion at that time. Absolutely nothing. To me, as a child, it could be no more than a bread and wine. But the fact that I was kneeling communicated my body's actions, communicated to my mind that there was something sacred about what I was doing. And I had a sense of respect for the communion I was receiving simply because of my actions. I would think to kind of tie this into ad orientum, or facing away from the people, uh, for two reasons. One, it's simplicity, and the other in what it communicates. So let me first deal with uh, what it communicates. It communicates a focus on where the people are facing. When somebody's facing something, you're giving your attention to it. You don't turn away from somebody when you're talking to them, for instance. Uh, if a judge is speaking in a courtroom, for example, you would face the person. You wouldn't have your back to the judge while he's talking. So if this is a worship of God, you want to be facing, or at least symbolically, facing the direction in which God is. Now, now we can take something like the Eucharist, for instance, and we're all facing the Eucharist when the priest is facing towards the people as well. But this gets into my second point, the simplicity of it all. When two people or two sets of people, namely the clergy and the laity, are facing uh, one direction, but there's several people facing different directions, the symbolism becomes a bit more diluted. It becomes a bit more complex. But if everybody is facing the same direction, you better communicate this idea that you're facing God, that you're facing the Eucharist. Uh, the Eucharist then becomes more the center of the worship, and more obviously so. So you both have the symbol of facing God, and it becomes more simple through ad orientum. So I think this sort of bodily expression helps the mind more easily embrace the faith that we're trying to grasp at. I think one of the things that most people do not know about Mass, and honestly, I was a seminarian for a long time before I really knew it, is that almost everything... Almost everything that the priest says in Mass is addressed to God the Father. Yeah. Like, people think... I think you can tend to think that the priest is talking to you, right? And I think it's yeah. easy to get into that mode when you're looking at the yeah. people. Yeah. yeah. It's easy to get into the mode of thinking, like, oh, I'm talking to these people. So I'm going to say the prayer in a way that makes the people kind of understand what I'm saying or, or that they... You know, so I, I say it instead of, like, I'm addressing God... I say it almost like I'm performing. Yeah. I really want people to kind of get it, you know? And it becomes about the people getting it instead of making sure that we're addressing the prayer to God. And, I mean, I say this, I, I do this myself, right? I do it myself. Um, a lot of times it's because I'm reading the prayers in the Missal and trying to say them in a way that the awkward wording sounds right. Because there's especially one <laughs> yeah. of the prefaces, I wish I had it with me. There's one of the prefaces that I have never understood what you're saying in that preface. It's like... Uh, really? It's it's bizarre, the wording. It's very difficult to understand how you're supposed to... It's a super long run-on sentence. Yeah. And it's hard to understand what you're trying to say. And I, I remember I've, I've said it a bunch of different ways, trying to understand, you know, like, what's going on in it. Same thing in, like, the, the marriage, right? There's this one part... <laughs> there's this one part in the nuptial blessing that I'm reading, and I'm like, what exactly am I saying? Yeah. Here? You know? Um, but I definitely think 
realizing that we're addressing these prayers to God the Father helps it would help people to change their understanding of what's going on in the Eucharist, right? The Eucharist got Christ is not coming down to the altar to be offered to the people, mm-hmm. right? And I think you could very easily believe that that's what's going on, sure. even if you have yeah. any concept. Yeah. And there's a lot of people who have no concept of absolutely any offering or even what the Eucharist is. But I mean, you could very easily believe that this is being offered to the people. Why? Because the priest does all this stuff. He says all these things that people aren't really paying attention to. And then what does he do? He goes and he gives the Eucharist to the people. Right? So if I'm offering this to the people, then why, why am I not facing the people? But in reality, we're offering the Eucharist to God the Father. Right, The sacrifice is being offered to God the Father. Um, it's a fascinating problem. I mean, I, I'm curious to see what's going to happen. I really am. Well, the other thing about ad orientum, right? Um, what is the word? What do the words actually mean? To the east. To the east, right? right? So, Why to the east? Well, that's something that kind of I've I know the answer, <laughs> but it doesn't always make sense to me. Like I'm a little so like the idea is that uh, there's some symbolism first of all regarding the sun, like the the actual sun regard, uh, rising in the east, and that Christ will come again. We know. Uh, and so he's he's going to come from the east. Well, the Jews believe that. Yeah, the, or the Jews. That's, believe that's that. an old, old, old belief. Okay, so the Jews believe that. He, oh, yeah. The Messiah. That's why the golden door on the temple faces the east. Right. That's why the people, the rich, really, really rich people in Jerusalem, are buried on the mountain that's to the east of the temple because the Messiah is yes. going to pass them first, <laughs> and they'll be raised from the dead. Oh yeah. And see him enter into the temple, right? And turn to his glory. Maybe that happened already. It might have. Yeah. <laughs> and, he, and then he came and he drove out the money changers. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. When he entered in. But uh, uh, no, no, no. There's this, and, and, and that, and that has always kind of been the belief, right? That 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 Christ, who's also called the Son of Justice, S U N. Right. right? Yeah. It's like a play on, in English. It's a play on words. In Latin, it's not. Yeah. Right? So I'm kind of. Um, yeah. That's why it gets me because I'm yeah. like, okay, well, Son and Son that yeah, yeah, makes that's, connection, yeah, but that's a, that's why a, should we make that connection? Well, I mean, even without the English, you have some of the earliest depictions of Christ as Apollo, mm. um, symbolically the Sun God. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Before the English exactly. sun exactly. and sun are connected. Right. Um, but uh, uh, that Eastern orientation, I mean, one of Christ's names in the O Antiphons for Advent oh, is yeah. O Orients. Yeah. Right? Which, You're literally calling him the East. Right? Um, and so. Those are ancient, right? Of, of as old as the liturgy. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, those are names Those are names given to him in the Old Testament. Yeah. Right? Um and uh, so facing the east in a certain way, I mean, one of the reasons Cardinal Seurat asked us to do this during Advent is because Advent is a time when we're preparing for the second mm. coming of Christ. We honor the first coming. We're living this, well, it depends on how you look at it, right? He comes into the altar every day, right? Um, so you're kind of honoring the first coming of Christ, historical coming. We're living this coming of Christ in the world every day, and we're awaiting the second coming. And we all await the second coming together, right? So we're facing looking for the second coming, and in the meantime, worshiping God, the Father, by offering him the daily coming of Christ yes. onto the altar, right? All of us doing that together, oriented towards the cross. The other thing Cardinal Sarah said is it's essential that the cross be the place where everybody is pointed. Yeah. Right? Because that's the door to heaven. It's the gate to heaven. Um, Which is a whole other podcast, really. <laughs> like We could talk about the crucifix, too. Yeah. Uh, so it's uh, I mean, 
it's an interesting thing. I don't know what's going to happen. Um, I know it, here at Georgia Tech, we already offer one ad orientum mass on Sundays, uh, in the mornings on Sundays. Um, and it's fairly popular, getting more popular. That mass is actually in Latin. It's not even, it's not English, and it's still fairly popular. Um, I don't know what we're going to do. Um, I'm pretty sure that uh, we'll start doing daily masses at the very least in ad orientum, and then we'll see what happens with the rest of them. Yeah. Um, it'll take a little time, I think. You got to really, people really have to understand. And we're going to have to have something more definitive uh, from from the Vatican. Yeah. But if yeah. he keeps talking about this, you know, nobody's come out and said, no, 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 we're not doing this. <laughs> yeah. Like it's, it's pretty actually unusual for a cardinal to go off talking about something and have other cardinals not disagreeing with him and saying, oh, no, 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 we're not doing that. Right? No one, nobody's doing that yet. That's interesting. Yeah, and yeah. they haven't been doing it. So... Um, in this last uh, in this last talk, he talked about Pope Francis asking him to kind of head up looking at the reform of the reform, like reforming the reform that was offered in the Second Vatican Council, whatever the heck that means. Um, and so I think there's probably some teeth to that. I mean, I don't know. We'll see what happens. But um, Pope Francis is a surprising guy. There's no, <laughs> one thing you got to say about him. He's full of surprises. Um so we'll see, but I I hope that everybody receives it with charity, right? At least, um, and and I hope that priests and seminarians, everybody else, are charitable with those who don't agree. Oh and yes, who get upset and all that kind of stuff. You know, we just got to be patient um, and let the liturgy speak to people. Uh, we've taken away a lot of beauty from the liturgy, and trying to add yeah. that back is going to be tough because you take away beauty long enough, and people don't recognize it anymore. They get deformed in their mind. Um. So at any rate, anything else, guys? All right. Well, yeah, I'm thinking of anything. TJ's thinking, but he he decided I, I, against it. I lost it. Yeah, you know, decided against it's all right, it. You know. So this is the Hell of a Catholic podcast. Uh, thanks for listening. If you have any questions or comments, uh, please email us at podcast at gtcatholic.org. Thanks and God bless.